Thank you for continuing our journey with our series entitled Choose Your Religion. My name is Jonathan Chan. I'm so glad that you can join me today as we embark on part three of our series as we explore evangelicalism. But before we begin, let's start off with a video clip and we'll be right back. I can't go to church today. Why? Because I think Apostle is going to have the virus. If we die, we die for Christ. Maldonado is just one of a number of evangelical preachers who has spread disinformation about or downplayed the coronavirus. And somebody get a little close, they go. That's called germophobic. Watch this. You think I'm sucking the virus off of her? I came today to declare victory over the virus. On you. On you. You are destroyed forever. You are, you are destroyed, destroyed forever. And you will never be back. Who are the evangelical Christians? You may have come across some news about them, especially recently with some of the evangelicals' behavior toward COVID vaccinations and, of course, the masks. On the news, such as CNN, which I showed you just now, majority of the unvaccinated and anti-maskers in the United States, and some in Canada, are predominantly evangelical. And even before COVID, evangelicals were outspoken against abortion, they were against LGBTQ rights, they were against women's rights, including whether they should have pulpit time, and the truthfulness of climate change. They're even susceptible to conspiracy theories. They've been associated with far-right groups, like far, far-right groups, and majority of them support right-leaning politicians, such as the 45th president. However, many evangelicals tend not to associate with the ones on the news, especially evangelicals in Canada. In fact, many evangelicals do not share the same political and social convictions the ones on the news propagate. You're looking at one right now. So, today, let's look at evangelicalism. Oh, by the way, for those of you who may be interested in knowing what the difference is between Canadian evangelicalism and American evangelicalism, I propose you a book that you can read and refer to. It's a pretty good one, entitled Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation by Kristen Cobus Demes. We will approach evangelicalism the same way as we approached the previous two religions, Buddhism and Hinduism. First, we will briefly provide an overview of evangelicalism's origins and dive directly into discussing how evangelicalism responds to the following questions that religions try to answer. These questions are, what is the problem with the world today, metaphysically? Why is it happening? What is the existential and metaphysical narrative if there is one? 
Where are we all headed without the mentioned religion? I.e., what does evangelicalism say that we are all headed without the particular religion that evangelicalism is part of? Where should we be going? How do we get there in the present? What guides our moral and ethical compass to get there? Is there life after death? If yes, what is it? Since we are exploring these religions as a Christian, because hey, we are in a Christian church and a Christian context, one also need to ask this question as well. Considering what I've just learned about evangelicalism, how does this inform my Christianity and my faith in Jesus? Especially for myself, who I too claim to be evangelical. Let's begin with some history. Just like Buddhism, which had its roots in Hinduism and was a form or a practice of Hinduism with its own specific emphases such as Nirvana and specific emphases on religious practices, evangelicalism is a form of Christianity with its own specific theological emphases and religious practices. Like Buddhism, where it shares much of the worldview with Hinduism, because of its roots in Hinduism, evangelicalism also shares much of the worldview in Christianity because it's rooted in Christianity. Therefore, much of its theology, worldview, and the responses to the questions above that we just listed are nearly identical to other forms of Christianity. But let's take a look at evangelicalism specifically since you and I are probably evangelicals because if you attend a church that is not Catholic, not Orthodox, not Unitarian or Anglican, there is a good possibility you're an evangelical without even knowing it. The evangelicalism that most Christians, like myself, are affiliated had its beginnings in the 18th century during the spiritual awakenings and revivals with well-known preachers such as Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, and for us Christian Missionary Alliance people, A.B. Simpson. Why were there such spiritual awakenings? Why were there movements such as pietism, parentinism, and holy living? These spiritual awakenings came from the desire for a more authentic and deep relationship with Jesus the truer conversion experience. And according to Dr. Bruce Highmarsh, Christians, quote, demanded new and more deeply personal experience of repentance and faith in Christ, end quote. It didn't matter which traditional Protestant denomination you were from. All Christians, whether they were Anglicans, Lutherans, Calvinists, Baptists, Congregationalists, Presbyterians, or the Simpsons, there was this movement or yearning for a deeper personal experience with Jesus and authentic repentance. It's sort of like Buddhism, where the founder, Satarta Gautama, had a deep yearning for liberation from samsara, and he saw Hinduism just didn't provide it. Evangelicalism's origins were from a yearning for a deeper personal experience with Jesus that the traditional church and its traditional methods couldn't provide. So, from Western Europe 
and subsequently into North America, evangelicalism spread throughout the whole entire world with traveling preachers, outdoor gatherings such as spiritual revival meetings, and many witness accounts of the remarkable work of God, such as healings, spiritual tongues, and large numbers of people being converted and baptized into Christianity. Evangelicalism was, according to Dr. Bruce Highmarsh, quote, a spiritual awakening that was international and interdenominational, characterized by focus on true religion over against nominal affiliation to church establishments and a religion of law and custom, end quote. Evangelicalism by this time was characterized by devotion centered on Christ's atoning death and the necessity of personal conversion, drawing lay people into practices of Bible reading, small group fellowship, extempore prayer, personal testimony, and hymn singing, as continued by Dr. Bruce Heimarsh. And chances are, today, if you're a Christian and attend a Protestant church, you're doing something similar. Therefore, evangelicalism is not a denomination. It's a movement, a way of being Christian and living as a Christian within whatever denomination or Christian affiliation you are with. Evangelicalism continued to evolve and incorporate social causes and participated in social justice movements, such as earlier on abolishing slavery and feeding the poor. Evangelicalism emphasized sending out missionaries to proclaim the gospel to the far corners of the earth and even to the darkest and most dangerous areas because that's what it means to have a deep relationship with Jesus. As Dr. Bruce Heinmarsh would summarize, quote, Evangelicalism emerged as a distinctive and dynamic form of Christian spirituality in the modern world. As evangelicals share together in causes such as anti-slavery and the great missionary organizations of the 19th century, they increasingly made visible their transnational and transdenominational identity in new organizations, end quote. So, how does one identify themselves as an evangelical then? How do you know if you are an evangelical? How do I know if I'm an evangelical? Well, let's go over to another professor and scholar, namely Dr. John Stackhouse. He offers a definition that needs to be taken as a whole, i.e. must fulfill all criteria so that you and I would know if we are an evangelical. Here they are. Number one, orthodox and orthoprax. He says this, evangelicals subscribe to the main tenets the doctrinal, ethical, and liturgical of the churches to which they belong. In other words, whatever your church you go to, you subscribe to their tenets and beliefs. Crucicentric is number two. Evangelicals are Christocentric in their piety and preaching and emphasize particularly the necessity of Christ's salvific work on the cross. Next, Biblicist. He says evangelicals affirm the Bible as God's word written, true in what it says and functioning as their supreme written guide for life. Next, he says conversionists. He goes on evangelicals believe that one, 
everyone must trust Jesus as Savior and follow him as Lord. And two, everyone must cooperate with God in a life of growing spiritual maturity. Next, missional. Evangelicals actively cooperate with God in his mission of redeeming the world and particularly in the proclamation of the gospel. And lastly, he says, transdenominational. Evangelicals gladly partner with other Christians who hold these concerns, regardless of denominational stripe, in work to advance the kingdom of God. So this, he says, is evangelicalism. If you and I have all those things, we are called evangelicals. Let's dive into the questions that religions want to answer, starting with what is wrong with the world today. Since evangelicalism is a movement or a form or being of Christianity, how does evangelicalism respond to all the questions that we just listed above? Well, it's pretty similar to any other form of Christianity. However, there are nuances depending on which Christian tradition an evangelical is from. Because remember, evangelicals are transdenominational. So how one responds to these questions will be influenced by the tradition of one comes from. So for myself, I come from the Christian Missionary Alliance tradition. And therefore, my responses, though similar to other traditions, will influence my responses to these questions. According to evangelicalism, sin is what is wrong with the world today. And sin is defined as anything apart from God. When humanity rebelled and decided to determine what was best for themselves, rather than letting God determine it for them, sin entered and sin and its consequences are the reasons for all the world's problems. Sin has many manifestations. We define them as greed, selfishness, pride, lust, but we cannot reduce it to these because that is, again, us defining what is good and bad and what's not good in our own view. Sin is basically anything apart from God, and we are trapped in it, i.e. we can't save ourselves from the consequences of sin because we are apart from God. Is there a humongous meta-narrative story in Christianity, especially in evangelicalism? Yes. Things were good between humanity and God in the beginning. So good, it was like the Garden of Eden. When humanity sinned, all of creation was spiraling into oblivion, i.e. permanent death and apart from God. There was no way to be back in the presence of God and live in the presence of God and his goodness. But God had a plan. God became a human being in Jesus. Jesus, representing humanity, expedited that story to its end. In other words, bringing the conclusion and the consequences of humanity's sin right into his present time. And brought the end of that story by dying on the cross for all of humanity. In other words, suffering all of humanity's consequences of their sin on, upon himself in his time, therefore making available to everyone, to all of humanity in, during the present time, in his time, in the future, until now, and in the future be, ahead of us, all of humanity are given this accessibility, this access 
to be in the presence of God by believing in him. So for anyone who believes in him and then believes in what Jesus has done, they will not incur the fateful consequences of their sin, but live eternally with him. Therefore, where is humanity going without believing in Jesus? Oblivion and apart from God. Where should humanity be going? Into the new kingdom and new world that Jesus made possible and has already inaugurated. When Jesus comes back, he will bring the new kingdom and on earth into fruition. And there, all who believe in him will live eternally with him in the presence of God without any death, with no consequences of their sin. So, next question then. What guides our moral and ethical compass to remain faithful in Jesus and live accordingly to Christianity? Well, this is where evangelicalism comes into play. Where Catholics have the Pope and the priests, Anglicans have the Church of England, evangelicals rely solely on the Bible, sola scriptura. In fact, in the 18th century, the evangelical church's architecture and design was just plain box, and the Bible was the middle of it all, the center stage. If you recall how Dr. John Stackhouse defined evangelicalism, they are known as biblicists, evangelicals who affirm the Bible as God's word written, true in what it says, and functioning as their supreme written guide for life. Now, again, Depending on your tradition, though the Bible is a center and written guide for life, tradition greatly influences our interpretation of that guide. For example, a traffic light. Depending on your interpretation of what a yellow light can mean, it can mean slow down or it can mean speed up since you have a minute second to beat the red. Circling back to our introduction when we briefly spoke about American white evangelicals and their peculiar bents politically, socially, and their tendency to be convinced by conspiracy theories, they too claim to be biblicists. They will not disagree with other evangelicals that the Bible is central to their way of life, but they will disagree with the interpretations that differ from their own. Lastly, is there life after death? If yes, what is it? Yes and no. Depending on your tradition, when you die, if you do not believe and have faith in Jesus, you will either go into oblivion, poof, or spend eternity in a space that is apart from God called hell. Some evangelicals define hell as a place of eternal suffering. So, if there is life after death for those who don't believe in Jesus, yes, there will be eternal damnation. But no, if you believe that you will just end in oblivion. Now, if you believe in Jesus, yes, there is life after death, and that's here on earth when the earth is made new again when Jesus returns. A believer will have new bodies that are eternal without any decay or disease or any faults or any sin. Some evangelicals think that we will be skyrocketed into heaven and spend eternity with God. Whatever tradition you're from, if you believe in Jesus, there is life after death. What is it depends on your tradition. Now, now that we know what evangelicalism is, 
how does evangelicalism inform my Christianity personally for Jonathan Chan? How does evangelicalism inform my faith in Jesus or Jonathan Chan's faith in Jesus? If you recall, yours truly is an evangelical. How does going through the history and characteristics of evangelicalism inform my evangelicalism? Let's revisit the set that characterizes evangelicalism according to Dr. John Stackhouse. Orthodox and orthoprax, crucicentric, biblicist, conversionist, missional, and transdenominational. Orthodoxically, I belong in the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination, but in practice, orthoprax, it's not really distinguishable from other mainstream Protestant denominations. Liturgically, worship services at Alliance churches are similar, if not the same, as Baptists, Mennonite Brethren, and Reformed churches. Our praxis is indistinguishable from the rest. We all sing Chris Tomlin music and hill songs. Is that a concern? Maybe or maybe not. But what is of a concern for me is the cultural and tradition that influences each church has. These cultures could be from the surrounding neighborhood, the ethnic or social demographic buildup within the congregation, etc. How much of the cultural influences may have influence on the other characteristics of evangelicalism, such as the interpretation of the Bible? And how does those interpretations guide the way I live, i.e., how does it influence on my biblicists? Because I come from a tradition of Christian Mission Alliance, but I also come from a culturally centered Asian ethnicity. How much does the Asian ethnic culture influence my reading of the Bible? And how much of that reading guides the way I live? And that's my concern that has brought up to me when I was reading through the criteria of an evangelical. See, I don't believe that any honest Christian would deny the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Passion and the Easter's are central to Christianity, regardless whether you're evangelical or not. However, how I am living my life in light of Jesus' death and resurrection is the question. Evangelicals emphasize that Christ died for me personally. How then should I live out my life knowing that someone, namely God, died for me so that I can be saved from myself and liberated from sin and its consequences. And that, folks, I need to go to the Bible that guides me. But, again, should I evaluate how I interpreted it? Should I understand and engage with how my cultural influences, how my own worldview influenced the reading of the Bible? Next. This then leads to conversionists. John Stackhouse, Dr. John Stackhouse, says this, Everyone must cooperate with God in a life of growing spiritual maturity. Does my life show evidence that I am cooperating with God in a life of growing spiritual maturity? Having been introduced with the historical origins of evangelicalism, and knowing that evangelicalism started because of Christians' deep yearning for a more authentic and deeper spiritual connection with Jesus, do I have that yearning? Am I showing any need or demand or discontent of my relationship with Jesus? Do I have a spiritual hunger for a spiritual experience, an encounter with the Holy Spirit? If I don't, is my faith genuine? Do I also need a spiritual revival? And how can I go about doing it?
That's another question that I have for myself when I have encountered evangelicalism here in this presentation. And I hope that you're asking yourself these similar questions as well. Lastly, missional. Evangelicalism was involved in what the world was concerned about. Slavery, poverty, war, famine. How about today? Evangelicals believed that they were to be part of the solution. Volunteer, donate for good causes, because they believe that's how they will serve God and proclaim the gospel. Hence, evangelicalism exploded and attracted millions of people around the globe because they did that. Now, today, for myself, Am I taking interest in, in, in am I sorry am I taking interest and engagement in today's world or am I aloof and ambivalent to the suffering and needs of the world and just going about my life In other words am I a true evangelical Well that is it from me I hope you enjoyed this part of our Choose Your Religion series as we went through evangelicalism. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send us emails at community at cruciblechurch.com and I would gladly respond to your messages. Till next time, have a blessed week.